Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in and thank you for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. Back for the 2019-2020 season after quite a lot of holidaying, quite a lot of time spent not thinking about EFL football uh, and now very much ready and raring to go ahead of the new season which starts in just over three weeks time. It is creeping up on us somewhat. Uh, I'm Ali Maxwell and George Ellick joins me. George, how are you enjoying your summer so far? Yeah, I had a good summer, um, enjoying some other sports, um, mm-hmm. enjoying some football in the Women's World Cup, a bit of the under-21s. I know you were there. Uh, I sadly wasn't, and, and the cricket as well. But um, you've already been on your holidays. I've got another week away in Italy to look forward to um, just before the season starts. But uh, it feels strange because it's, it's three weeks until it all starts again. And I know this is always the case, but this summer especially, it really feels like the crux of the transfer activity hasn't really happened yet. And if you're trying to look through the teams and how they're going to be setting up for next season, it's basically impossible because most still need at least three or four bodies in. But so. that's not unusual, is no, it? it's not. No, it's not. No, no, I, I, I don't just think feel it is. like it gets focused on a bit more because of the hype around the whole transfer window and the transfer market and the impatience of fans, I think. And, I, and also, I'd say, I mean, maybe not for us, um, EFL fans but you know having a major tournament having a world cup which mm. would only be finishing around about now and suddenly you start thinking about it again whereas we've had six weeks or so of, yeah. of, of looking at transfers and waiting for action to happen so no you are right and uh, you know the championship particularly is not a huge amount going on transfer wise it's just starting to all uh, happen uh, but generally it was a stale start to the window and that's why a few teams have stood out your bristol cities your stokes your brentfords we're going to get into all of those just to explain the format from today guys something a bit different and it came from me sitting on holiday checking my twitter feed when i probably shouldn't have done and seeing that in our mentions we had a load of people uh, and the format of the tweets was the same. I don't know if it was by luck or by design, but people were just going thoughts on Luke Thomas or thoughts on Adam Davis. And every time their club was linked with a player or signed a player, they would they would tweet us and ask for our thoughts. And, and that's really cool. And we like that a lot. And I'm sorry if I didn't get back to you. I was away at the time. But I thought what we could do is turn this into a podcast. So this is the thoughts on podcast i explained the concept on twitter the other day and all of you have been sending in uh, your replies and it's going to be very simple george and i are going to go back and forth asking each other our thoughts on various things we're going to start of course in the championship but just before that our bonus question james kick things off with thoughts on walking down main street and i thought that was a really nice way to start what i'm considering the first pod of the pre-season for us of 2019-20 uh, titillating I would say. Yeah, you would That's say That's how that. I feel about it. There you go. this is it. Let's get into the championship, George. We, we have to start with Brentford FC. And Dazza tweeted us asking, thoughts on whatever the hell is going on at Brentford? Do you think that maybe we're going to go for it this year? The context being, really, the signing of Pontus Janssen for £5.5 million from Leeds, sending shockwaves through the division. Uh, but also the additions of Ethan Pinnock, of David Raya in goal, of Christian Norgard and the expected arrival of, of, of Jensen as well, another young Danish midfielder who looks quite tasty indeed. What the hell is going on at Brentford? It doesn't take much at Brentford to get um, me quite excited about their season. And normally it comes crashing down at some stage. Um, but this does feel a bit different. Um, I think Brentford as a club and their recruitment model and the way that they sign players and who they look to sign is consistently fantastic and and whilst it may not be reflected in league position and where they finish in the league you just have to look at the amount of revenue that they generate by player sales to know that they're doing it the right way but this has been a bit of a change where they brought in Pontus Janssen I think that instead of being some kind of a masterstroke away from the, the general philosophy this was a case of right player right time right situation where suddenly he became available and given the the frailties they've had at the back in most recent seasons, um, which Thomas Frank did iron out somewhat, mm. his arrival is, is really impressive. And then someone like Ethan Pinnock, who despite playing the majority of his football in non-league with Dulwich Hamlet, um, has been very impressive um, for Forest Green. And, and then for Barnsley last season, where he was arguably probably, I mean, he was probably the unfashionable choice for player of the season in League One, um, if you're not going to look at the attacking players. Certainly adding height at the back. Yeah, and he's left-footed as well. We, we saw Thomas Frank often play with three at the back uh, last season, so that could be an option here as well. Um, and Would you reckon Jean-Vier Wright 
Janssen centre, Pinnock left. That's, you, you, that you we're assuming so. Esri Konza, yeah. of course, who was playing for the under-21s or was rather out there. Uh, didn't really play. Um, he he looks like he might be moving up to the Premier League, but then again, with this new ambitious Brentford, maybe maybe not. Maybe they're maybe trying not. to keep hold of him I and think, Mopai. What, what do you expect to happen well, with the, the outgoing? With the financial outlay, you've still got Konza, who's being linked to a 12 million quid move away. Mopé, who's been linked to a 15 million quid move away, and then Benarama, who I think is the one they'd probably most want to keep. Um, and and I think the reason why the rumours seem to have uh, of Aston Villa and, and Sheffield United seem to have fallen away because. With a season under his belt, if they are going to be as good as we think they might be, he could be um, quite clearly head and shoulders above yeah. the rest of the division next season, and he could be the difference. So, I mean, what the hell is going on? It's great they're 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 going for it, and whether this is um, due to most of the costs in terms of the new stadium being built have 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 now you know been been overcome, and therefore yeah. they can invest more in players. I'm not sure, but whether it's Matthew Benham, the owner, having a look at the league and thinking to himself that maybe this is one to go for um, and in signing Pontus Janssen they, they immediately weaken the favourites for the league uh, I'm not sure but it's it's I mean it's an exciting time now to be a Brentford fan my only concern is we've been here before not quite such high profile but we've mm. been here before where I mean you remember after that slow start to the um, I think it was a 16-17 season and suddenly half of Brentford's first team 11 popped up at St Andrews for, for a bumper fee on deadline day. Yeah. And, and it's just important that they, if they are going to be gutted of, of star talent, if that I means Conza's already been replaced if he does go, but more pays is a big one where they need to have enough time to make sure they have the personnel in to, to maximise their chances because they look to have a massive chance. Yeah, I think you're right to, to suggest and everything that we've read and heard about the transfer of Janssen points to this being the case, that it was something of an opportunistic signing. He said himself... Uh, on the club website that once it became clear that Leeds were keen to, to get rid of him, whether that's because of FFP, whether that's because of personality issues or clashes, uh, we're not sure. Um, there's mixed messages there. But he basically said he wanted to stay in England. He asked his agent if there was any Premier League interest. There didn't appear to be much. So he said, well, I'd like to stay in the Championship in that case. And, and claims he mentioned Brentford in that discussion with his agent. And within a few hours, his agent had spoken to Rasmus Ankerson, the chairman, and Thomas Frank was on the phone and things moved quite quickly. At the same time, this I, is... I a, heard some, some really good guy on Sky Sports News saying exactly that this morning. I know, so. <laughs> I, I heard that as well. Um, this, this is... Um, you should be watching the... Uh, what's it called? Good Morning Transfers, Can't guys. say that. Every Wednesday, Good Morning Transfers, 9.15... They're not the top 20 boys talking you through some EFL transfers. Anyway, I just had one last thing to say on this. And it's, a, it's something that I, I, I thought is quite rare. And that's Brentford, in terms of transfers, in terms of their status in the championship, moving up the food chain. Uh, and it's a rare thing, actually, in football, because generally, well, certainly English football, you're only as big as the revenue your club can generate. Uh, in Brentford's case, that's not a big amount relative to the division they're in the size of the fan base, uh, the stadium, the competition they have with other London clubs. Of course, if you have a, a, a complete sugar daddy, then you can compete on the short term in terms of the transfer food chain. But generally, you are what you are. There's only one way that you can do it sort of organically. And is it's a long-term, absolutely unwavering process of making consistent profit in your recruitment, uh, in the buying and selling of players. And this is where, and it's, it's no secret that we admire Brentford in this way. This is where they've done so well. Uh, they brought in £35 million last season. They spent six mil. Um, obviously, big sales in January of Yanaris and Mepham brought in about 20 mil. £15 million in 1718 and spent six. £15 million the season before that and spent five. £25 million the season before that and spent 10. So if you're wondering where the money's come from, well, there's your answer. It's huge, huge profit made over the last four years. And also, there's it seems like, oh, maybe it's a bit of a risk to start spending the money now. But when you consider that in Konza, Mopai, probably Jean Vier, Watkins, and certainly Ben Rama, all of them signed for something like two or three million pounds generally. That was the, the general fee for those players. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that they are all worth, you know, let's say 10 mil now or eight, eight million pounds minimum. So again, they've, they've already... They've got the assets that they know they can sell on for a profit. So this isn't going to end anytime soon. That, that's our thoughts on Brentford, Dazza. Uh, Quaint Crab said, George, on the flip side, thoughts on Leeds messing it up again. Do you think that they are? I was going to ask you that, but, um, but you know, we'll carry on. This whole back and forth is meant to be. But um, no, I, I, I don't. Um, I think that the reasons for the sale of Pontus Janssen, whether it's FFP or, or personality clash, 
it's clearly something that had to happen. Um, and the fee, the fee is the fee, but uh, given that I can't really expect Leeds to reinvest much of it into the squads, I, I don't think it's particularly important. I think the, the, the key thing to remember here is that Leeds' squad last season wasn't particularly good either. Um, on paper, it, it, it didn't look to be one that uh, that should be as good as they were. And the key signing and the key person they've still got at the club is, is Marcelo Bielsa. Mm. Um, you have to be concerned about Janssen leaving. You have to be concerned about the rumours of, of Kemal Roof moving on as well, given they've only got two strikers and the other's Patrick Bamford. Um, they, they've obviously brought in some cash with the with the sale of Jack Clark and they've retained his services for next season. Um, I think Helder Costa, if I was to do top five EFL transfers of the summer so far, he would definitely feature in it. And yeah. he's going to give them something completely different. If you think about how good they were last season and so often reliant on the likes of Jack Harrison and Jack Clark, who, whilst they'll both be at the club next season, you compare them as footballers to, to Helder Costa, it's a completely different kettle of fish, yeah. especially in terms of current ability. So I think it's easy to get bogged down in the rhetoric of, of Leeds' fire sale, especially because Janssen has been... Um, the talisman of, of this Leeds United team pre and post um, Bielsa. So um, I think the other thing is, I mean, look, you have to live by Bielsa, die by Bielsa. I think that's that's probably the line, isn't it? And you want as a fan to fully trust in him. You've seen how transformative he's been for the club and how good he made that team last season. So of course you trust in him uh, in terms of his coaching, in terms of of setting his team up. I would say that. And, and and how much of it's down to him, how much of it is down to Victor Orta, the director of football. The transfer business, since he's been in charge, I can see why Leeds fans have been a bit underwhelmed or even a bit alarmed about it. Because, you know, as as you said, the squad last year didn't look spectacular. It was, part, it was mostly the same as it was the season before. A lot of the players they did bring in, albeit mostly on loan, barely had an impact. And to lose Samu Saif, who was an excellent attacking player, even if he had some... Uh, even if he had some homesickness or even if he had some attitude problems, uh, an excellent attacking player. And now to lose Janssen, and you have to wonder whether the Leeds fans are, are confident that whether it's Bielsa, whether it's Orta, head of recruitment, whoever it is, is going to be able to replace these players um, so that they do have enough options. But Costa, a, a fantastic start, that's for sure. Um, and let's move on. George, you wanted to ask me the next one, did you? Yeah, desperately. <laughs> um, we've seen, so this is from Luke. Um, who, of course, just to give a bit of context beforehand, um, Frank Lampard has sadly moved on from Frank Lampard's Derby County to join Chelsea FC. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has been replaced by Philippe Koku, who, as far as we know, did a very good job indeed at PSV. Um, some Dutch football experts we've, we've heard from have even said that the reason why Ajax was so dominant last season um, was because of Koku leaving. PSV derailed them so much. He went on to Fenerbahce, um, which, despite not being a, a Turkish football expert, I can't imagine is the most secure of jobs. Um, uh, yeah, and, and how much crossover do we think? How yeah. much sort of how much importance can we put on that? But it's still a massive club, you know. It's a club yeah. who this week are being linked to Mesut Özil, so you can see there that they they've certainly got some clout and some ambition. Yeah. Um, and so he left there, and he's popped up at Pride Park. So Luke asks us, or asks you specifically here, Ali. Thoughts on Derby getting paid four million to possibly upgrade their manager? Yeah, nice. Uh, good. Yeah, I mean, quite handy bit of compensation if it was four million for Lampard because Derby's FFP flirtations are always quite hard to to really nail down. That's partly because accounts are obviously only revealed for the year before, so it, it can be difficult to have an entirely up to date picture of where everyone is with FFP I mean across the whole of the championship maybe some of the reasons why some of these championship teams have been quite sluggish with their recruitment is because of um, we reckon maybe a couple of soft embargoes or or just having to really cut their cloth this summer we don't know about Derby of course they they really wanted to see who their manager was going to be first and foremost and it will be Koku it is possibly an upgrade of course it is you know this would have to be the first podcast of ours you'd listen to not to know what we thought about Frank Lampard's Derby County last season and it wasn't all positive and a lot of that stemmed from how we thought you know what the sort of job he was doing by no means a horrendous job but possibly not as good as, as some people in the mainstream media thought so yes there's potential for Koku to be absolutely excellent I don't know I'm really looking forward to seeing it though I think it's a really cool appointment um, Michelle Yongsma who's uh, the 
Dutch football expert, really. He, he spoke to the BBC. He contributed to a BBC article. Um, so just to give a bit of context to his time in PSV, for anyone who's interested, said he was struggled a bit to start with. He was ill in his first season with PSV. So that was a difficult start. But the way he adapted after was admirable. They became champions in three of his five seasons there, which is a fantastic record especially with Ajax lurking as well. The one thing that stood out is that two of those sides were very different in terms of approach, one very wing-back focused and the other more midfield driven. It shows that he can adapt himself a bit, so in that sense he is a typical Dutch manager. He left on his own terms because he wanted something different and it didn't pan out. He sees this as a chance to rebuild his career, um, but you expect bigger clubs, clubs to come in for him because even though he wasn't a success in his previous role, it's not like he's totally at fault for things that went wrong. Uh, he's suave, well-educated, he knows his languages and brings a cultural aspect to the club. I think in terms of losing a manager that you all loved and who had a, a good impact on the fans and relationship with, with some of the players as well in Frank Lampard, who gave you some great memories, this is a very, very good appointment. Uh, uh, certainly initial reaction from the Derby fans is great. We've got someone to move forward with. We can forget Frank Lampard altogether. So. Yeah, and and... and the owners at, at Derby, um, you know, they had a, a quite a long time, I think, knowing that this was going to happen. But Indeed. even so, they, they found their man and moved for him early and got him in the door. I mean, what I would say, not to put a dampener on things, but but just as we were speaking about at Leeds, not getting too bogged down in in the transfer stuff here. I mean, Derby have a... a <laughs> yeah, what's he got to work with? Not much. I mean, and Derby very quickly. I mean, if, if we were to start the season as the squads are now, I mean, I'd have Derby as, as relegation contenders basically wow. because well they haven't got any all their key players from last season have basically moved on um you've got a couple of, of, of very good it's very senior- rude to richard keogh that no i was gonna say <laughs> you've got some very good senior pros but at the same time they have to replace a hell of a lot of goals a hell of a lot of creativity um some uh, in in, in tamori a, a defender who is very important to them I mean, Jaden Bogle, they have to try and keep this summer, but it's going to be difficult. So, I mean, that's not as a slight to Derby. It's more just to try and show the job that Koku has on his hands now. And they've got to bring in some real quality because, you know, they weren't great last season and they got to the power final thanks to players who are no longer there. Yeah, it's a big job for Koku. I'm looking forward to seeing some of this tactical tactable, tactical flexibility. Uh, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing a bit of recruitment in some slightly different markets, markets that he might know that uh, uh, other players or other managers, other teams in this division don't know. So plenty to look forward to there. George Ben wants to know about Millwall. Uh, he wants to know about the signing of Matt Smith and what he's calling a slow and risky squad overhaul. And I didn't ask him to sort of uh, justify what he means by risky squad overhaul. I suppose by the very nature of overhauling a squad, that is risky business. Um, they've signed Connor Mahoney as well as Matt Smith. Um, and Alex Pierce, the centre-back, Frank Fielding, the goalkeeper. George, what do you think about Millwall? Is this is this overhaul, as he's calling it, necessary? Of course, they've lost Steve Morrison, Lee Gregory, uh, Jordan Archer, the goalkeeper's left, Conor McLaughlin, the, the full-back as well. But you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep evolving, don't you? I mean, we've always said over the last couple of years that this Millwall team needs some rejuvenation. Mm. And I think finally farming out Steve Morrison, and um, and is that the big statement? Well, no, but getting in someone in Matt Smith who is basically just kind of a, a similar mould of player, a target man who will be dominant in the air, who'll try and bully defenders um, without being particularly prolific, is a sign that they are moving in the right direction. I mean, Conor Mahoney is another player who should just in- inject a little bit of liveliness into that forward line. Yeah, Jed Wallace on the right, Mahoney yeah. on the left. I quite like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 hard to get overly excited by these signings. I mean, Pearce and Fielding bring some some experience to an already pretty experienced um, <laughs> squad. So it's 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 hard. I don't think anyone's going to look at Millwall's business and, and suddenly see them being anything more than than kind of lower bottom half of the table fodder. I would say. How many goals will they score from set pieces this season? 40? No. <laughs> I mean, it could be. With Cooper and Smith, I, they're basically the two, I mean, they might be the two tallest outfield players in the league. Yeah. So how are you getting, how are you rising above them to head it clear? Who's yeah. going to be knocking it down to who? <laughs> Either all. Cooper's going to get 10 goals. Smith is going to get 10 goals. I mean, the both iron, of them will get 10 assists. The irony is that with, with Cooper, you don't really need a big striker as well. You need someone who's going to get his foot on the ball. But yeah. yeah. Um, I think the only thing I've got to add here is that some of his quotes at the end of last season, we knew that this sort of thing was coming from Harris. He was a bit fed up, I think, with with the squad that he had. And I guess with that overhaul, with that new cycle at Millwall, we thought maybe 
he might try a bit of a different approach. Now, it doesn't look from the recruitment on paper that we're going to see much of a different approach from that very fast-paced, direct style, lots of uh, crosses into the box. And I don't hate it, to be honest. I do think, you know, with the league in general moving towards uh, the opposite direction, short passing, high pressing, uh, a different, more modern, maybe, way of playing, I still think that there's some value to be had in the way that Mill will play. I mean, it's not... It's not quite as dire as, as how Middlesbrough would set up under Pulis. There is attacking intent. Uh, it's just trying to, I don't know, it's just trying to go about it a different way. So I don't hate it, but there's some people suggesting they might need a bit more of a plan B. So we'll see uh, whether that develops. What about George? No, you're going to ask this one. I'll ask you, mate. Tom's got a question. Tom has asked about Stoke. Nathan Jones is Stoke. Thoughts on Stoke and all them transfers? For a bit of context, they have signed and pretty much announced all at the same time. Uh, Liam Lindsay, Nick Powell, Lee Gregory, Stephen Ward, Adam Davis and Jordan Cousins. I guess I still count Nathan Jones, who was hired midway through the season, approximately. I still sort of count him as the big, the sort of transformative addition here at Stoke. Um, We spoke at the end of last season how he'd had a much longer sort of period of grace than any other manager would have. The, The Stoke hierarchy, even the fans were, I don't think too fast that, last season towards the end was a lot of experimentation not a huge amount of consistency he seemed to be trying to go backwards first sort out the defense uh it didn't have much of a fluid front line uh, and i'm really excited to see how they look to start the season he's such a a huge character that you feel like it could go spectacularly well or it could frankly go spectacularly badly in terms of the transfers uh, I like Liam Lindsay, of course. I'm looking forward to seeing how he can do in, in at this level. I mean, they ended the season already with a really tight defence with Danny Bart and Shawcross and Martin Zindi playing well. So he's got a bit of a job to get into that team. Nick Powell, same as always for him. He's, he, he is a fantastic player and a player that can score goals from the number 10 position um, like not many others. Uh, but can he play 90 minutes? Can he play two games a week? Can he play 35 games in a season? Uh, if so, great. Excited for that one. Lee Gregory, good poacher. If he plays in a team that creates chances, I do believe he, he, he will score goals. I think we might see him score more goals than maybe we have seen him score before at this level. Stephen Ward, just solid addition, isn't he? Classic sort of Stoke and Burnley. Uh, they seem to trade players almost at will, those two. Um, Adam Davis in goal. If they lose Butland... Perfectly good free transfer signing. I mean, it's hard to know, really. I'm, I'm not the best goalkeeper but judge you, from League One. But Do you think Davis is now getting a bit worried <laughs> that he's made the switch? and What, and Butland hasn't gone? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, and Jordan Cousins on a free. For me, that's, that's a sort of squad player. I don't see him being hugely impactful, but I think you just needed a big change, didn't you, at Stoke? Uh, and that's what Jones is going for. Um, what about Barnsley? Two people asking about Barnsley stuff. Josh asking about their recruitment so far. Of course, they've lost Liam Lindsay, Ethan Pinnock and Adam Davies. That is their two centre-backs and their goalkeeper. They were the best defence in League One last season. But they've bought Luke Thomas, Malik Wilkes, Toby Sibick, Arpo Halmer, Bambo Diaby, Samuel Sahin Radlinger and Mads Yul Anderson. Uh, Wilkie's asked thoughts on Malik Wilkes, so you can focus on him to start with. Yeah, I think Wilkes is a good signing. Um, we said before we, we went on our summer recess that um, Jamal Lowe being linked to, to Leeds... We're not Parliament. Wait, are we EFL Parliament? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, although I don't know if that's a particularly good thing at the moment. But um, <laughs> but we uh, Malik Wilkes, we, we said it was bizarre that Leeds were being linked to Jamal Lowe given they had Wilkes back in their squad. For whatever reason, um, he obviously... I mean, Marcelo Bielsa doesn't really fancy him. And they do now have a lot of wide options. So... Um, but he's someone that we both really like watching at Doncaster. He was he was very important to their success last season. Um, very keen to to take men on and to take on a shot from from wide areas. Um, and he's just going to be a live wire for them. And and the thing is with Barnsley, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know a great deal about uh, Bambo Diabe or Samuel Sahin Radlinger or Madwell Anderson. They they have got a bit of a, mul- a money ball vibe about yeah, them, though, I, don't I, they? Those I think, players. And I, and I think what we've seen already. I mean, Apoharme, we've seen some of. Um, at Leeds, but not en- enough really to, to build a, a particularly strong view on him. But I think there, there comes a time where as a neutral, you look at clubs like like Barnsley and when you invest as much faith as we do in, in that kind of a system where you're you're really digging into the, the numbers behind p- players' performance and doing it in a, in a 
crucially doing it in an educated way we've seen in the past some people try and do it without really knowing what they're doing and that's a disaster <laughs> but there's enough um thought there to think that the money ball approach from barnsley is paying off and you know for that reason i'm basically positive because these guys have been selected for a reason and uh, and i'm sure we're going to find out i why. really really was and still retain some positivity but i was hugely positive just touching on one quick betting thing we've got plenty more to come before the season starts on that note but when I saw Barnsley priced up as the the most likely team to be relegated the least likely team to do anything good I was really keen to to do some backing of of Barnsley this season there's just such big question marks about that defense now there has to be um what about bamboo I don't know I don't know anything about bamboo (laughs) um but Pinnock and Lindsay and Davis that's just a huge huge loss and I'm I'm a little concerned so I'm I've slightly tempered my excitement about Barnsley this season, but I do like the way they've gone about building this this team. Um, you know, they they need to... It's so difficult losing your key players. At least in this case, they've got a bit of money for some of them. Last time when their squad fell apart, it didn't feel like they really got as much money as they should have done. A lot of contracts were left to run down. I think that was the case with Davis, but at least in the case of Pinnock and Lindsay, they brought in some funds. And I would hark back to what I said about Brentford earlier. You have to stay calm where possible and you have to believe that in terms of continuing to build and continue to improve your club when you're a certain size this is one way you're going to be able to do it but it can be very difficult um on the on the short-term level uh let's talk about a relegated team fulham back in the skybet championship yeah um and with i think we would be both pretty surprised if you told us when they went up that we'd be talking about them this soon yeah I think we'd have both been pretty surprised if we'd been told that we'd be talking about them getting relegated and then retaining the services of, of Mitro and Tom Kearney. Yeah. So Pat and Joe, not Pat Joe, um, both ask you the question of what are your thoughts on Mitrovic resigning with Fulham? And Joe says same question, but both for Kearney and Mitrovic. Every time a team comes down from the Premier League, we talk about the trauma, the sort of can't quite put your finger on it, can't really measure it before the start of the season, don't really know how much it's going to affect a team trauma of being relegated from the Premier League and all that comes with it and all the bad vibes and the bad feelings. What we're going to see that could be quite interesting in the case of Fulham and in the case of Huddersfield this season are teams who were essentially doomed so early on in their Premier League season that in theory could be a bit more over it than a team that that sort of suffered a, a late relegation. They've already done what some people would advise doing and, and, and got Scott Parker in to replace the managers that, in some people's eyes, sort of messed that up and got everything wrong. First Jokanovic and then Ranieri. So I think they've got a popular manager and these are key bits of business. Retaining Kearney and Mitrovic, both on the pitch and off it, off the field. It's important for the Fulham fans, I think, to be feeling quite positive about this season because we know that it can be really tough to lift the atmosphere of a club if there's still a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. Um, This is the best thing they could have done. Kenny is an unbelievably popular player with the Fulham fans. He's also a fantastic midfielder, creator at this level. And Mitrovic, frankly, is a Premier League striker. Um, He's certainly got his detractors, but you can't argue that with his size and when he's on his game, he's borderline unplayable. Uh, And, you know, they should be expecting him to score... 20 goals. I think that's that's fairly clear. I think he's already instant, quite short price favourite for top goal scorer in the Championship. So, big things for Fulham. Swansea, Morgan asks thoughts on Steve Cooper. George, we, we, I think we've kind of touched on him, but anything anything you've seen from Swansea well, last few weeks? I'm going to lump this in with Jim's question that he asks in two questions time. Oh, nice. Which is Jan. thoughts on, on Jan Sievert, where I think we'd be doing both managers an injustice if we try and give many opinions really um i mean it's it's really hard to say much about them they've obviously both got some good pe- pedigree as, as coaches sievert over in germany and and cooper within with, with the new setups in the country so um i think it's a very very brave appointment from swansea to, to to bring him in um but they're 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 brave last season it paid off with graham potter i don't think that cooper's going to have um the same quality of squad available to him as as potter did which is going to be tricky for them um, and he'll have a, a, a tough time um, bettering last season. And, and with Sievert, I'm, I'm concerned for Huddersfield personally. I think that last season they were one of the worst teams we've seen in the, in the Premier League for a long time. And as much as, as we loved watching um, David Wagner's 
uh, Huddersfield getting promotion. I think there needs to be a bit of a realisation here that, it, that it's not going to be just because they're a relegated Premier League club. Um, they, they aren't looking particularly strong at the moment. Mm. And I think it's going to be very important that Sievert is as good as, as we hope he is in order for them to, to get anywhere near um, the playoffs this season. And I am concerned that if he isn't um, as, as good as that, then they could be in for a difficult season. Yeah, in terms of Cooper, I just want to say... Let's really try not to compare him to, to Potter uh, at this early stage. There's there's some way in which they seem a bit similar because they're unknown appointments. Uh, they're young managers. They seem to have quite a modern approach and, a, and a, um, uh, an interest in developing young players. But let's not forget that Potter had been a manager at a top flight club in Sweden for many years, won a lot of trophies and had a lot of success at a senior level. Steve Cooper does not come into the job with that. So while I think we were very excited to see what Potter could do last season and, and our excitement justified really despite a fairly unimpressive league table position. I think we saw a, a lot to be impressed with and so did Tony Bloom, the, the Brighton chairman. So I'm just desperate not to try and compare Steve Cooper to Graham Potter. Yeah, so another team beginning with S in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> nice is, link. Is Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> Um, and their manager, whose first name also begins with S, um, may not be their manager for much longer. Steve Bruce, of course, being linked to the vacant Newcastle United uh, job. No, I've never heard of them either, but um, until except for two seasons ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, so Peter has asked us thoughts on Wednesday's recruitment and uh, for a bit of context, as you say, Borna, um, Odibejo, Harris, and then Josh McCreckran is in on trial. So what do you make of those lads? Yes, yeah, so I'm trying to remember which one of those is confirmed and which isn't. I know that Borna's been concerned. He's uh, Concerned? <laughs> confirmed. So would I be. I'm, I'm <laughs> quite concerned about Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Borna has been confirmed. He comes from Germany, the centre-back. I think he'll be a good addition to their squad for sure. I'm not sure if Odibejo and Harris have been McEachran certainly just on trial, but Odebajo and Harris expected to be. And look, this is a, a suggestion. Uh, this is, so, sorry, something that I touched on earlier. Um, Sheffield Wednesday. I can't imagine that they are getting in trialists and freebies because that's how they want to sign players this summer. I think that is because they don't have a huge amount of choice. As we know, they are sailing quite close to the FFP um, the jaws of the FFP shark, shall we say. So uh, having to do things a little bit differently. And Peter, if you can only sign free agents, and if you are Steve Bruce and you're not someone who particularly is going to be looking abroad or in or trying to bring in a, a lot of players from, from foreign markets, uh, then I don't think you can do much better than Odebajo and Harris possibly McEachran as well, just in terms of players that could contribute to the first team at Sheffield Wednesday and contend for minutes in the championship. I think all of these players have limitations. I think all of them have some, yeah, some limitations to their game, but I also think that they all have some qualities as well. Odebajo uh, is a versatile fullback, can play on either side, can play as a wingback as well, half decent going forward. Harris has got a bit of skill, a bit of pace. Haven't seen a huge amount from him in the senior game, but when he did play for Cardiff, a couple of seasons ago, he looked fairly lively. And McEachran, we know, to be a, a very good progressive passer through midfield. Someone who essentially might as well not be on the pitch when the opposition have the ball because he is exceptionally lightweight and struggles really to impact the game uh, on the defensive end. But I wanted to ask you, George, about this Steve Bruce to Newcastle rumour. Um, quite, quite peculiar, or is it peculiar? Or is that what we expect from Newcastle right now? I think the only thing that's peculiar is that it would probably cost whoever the Newcastle owner is um, some compensation money to get Steve Bruce out of his contract. Which one mil, I heard. Yeah, and that's one million more than we'd expect them to spend on a new manager. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I, personally, I, I think it wouldn't be a particularly good appointment, especially when you think of the manager that's just left St. James's Park. Um, but I can see the appeal. Very, you know, no frills. He's from the area. Um, he's obviously a Newcastle fan, so he'd be keen to go there. Um They've shown in the past they're not particularly bothered about his his Mackham past either. So, mm. uh, just think if if um, it's bad. But what I will say, and more importantly, rather than caring what's happening at Newcastle, it's bad news for Sheffield Wednesday because no matter of anyone's preconceptions about Steve Bruce, 
he undoubtedly um, turned, turned around their fortunes last season and I think he had a lot of uh, Sheffield Wednesday fans pretty optimistic about the upcoming season. So mm. to lose him now in mid-July would be a real blow. It would mean that the person who threw a cabbage at Steve Bruce at Villa Park just before the end of his Aston Villa reign um, could really be the reason why Steve Bruce and Aston Villa will be in the Premier League in the 2019 season. 2019-2020 season given that I mean I'm being a bit flippant here because I'm sure he would have gone Never. anyway but given that they certainly neither of them would be in the Premier League if that particular marriage had continued so in this case could be really the best thing possible for all parties if everyone's goal is to end up in the ghastly uh, Premier League um, George uh, talked to me about Luton's transfer business so far they're another team a bit like Barnsley, perhaps not surprisingly. We talk about the food chain while well, they've been on the, the wrong end of some poaching. Um, that's probably the wrong word because they've made good money out of Jack, Stacey and James, Justin. Six mil and four mil approximately. So upwards of 10 million pounds raked in. But they are key, key players for Luton. So with Martin Craney, Brendan Galloway, uh, Tunnicliffe and Callum McManaman, how do you how do you think about them at the moment? I'm I'm really concerned for them. I must say, oh. um, having been so enamoured by Luton last season and the season before, um, and really impressed with the with the way that they can manage to to maintain that continuity last season. Um, the loss of James Justin and and Jack Stacey is a huge blow in the way that they play. Um, I think asking Martin Craney to fill that role is is asking a bit much. Um, Brendan Galloway is a really interesting player who um, was destined for great things and has had a couple of ill-fated loan spells and hasn't really shown um, the the ability that he was thought to be capable of. But that's not to say that he's um, he won't show it now. And I think a permanent move to Luton, um, a settled uh, club and a, and a team who at least last season likes to play attacking football could work out well, but it's definitely a risk. Ryan Tunnicliffe's an okay midfielder um, and then Callum McManaman will, will be decent on his day but those days come yeah. few and far between so it, it's hard to be overly optimistic it, Luton are a team who are finally back to where they'll feel they belong but there's no denying that they're, they're they're now punching a little bit above their weight and unless we see some of the Stacey and Justin money reinvested um, in the playing staff I'm not, I don't know necessarily if it will with the, with the stadium issue ongoing so um it's hard, I, I think, personally, to to say with any conviction that the, the Luton ascent is going to c- continue past uh, what we've just seen. Not too positive there. Jordan, uh, the follow-up was thoughts on whether Luton will move away from the 4-4-2 diamond, having lost both full-backs who are key to its success. Obviously, Graham Jones, the new manager, coming in. Uh, I think that they probably won't uh, uh, stay with it, that I think they probably will have to find a way to move away from it. Uh, I, I did wonder whether, for Jones, for Graham Jones, I should say, whether he would have felt a bit of pressure to, to keep the same formation um, had they kept the same sort of strength in terms of attacking fullbacks, whether he would have wanted to, whether he would have maybe felt that he had to because of its its impact on the team or it, how important it's been over the last few years. I do think that when he was uh, the assistant at West Brom with Darren Moore, the suggestion was that he was very much involved in the tactical side of um, of things there, really make, making calling the shots, really, in terms of what shape and uh, they played. And you might remember they played quite a few different formations to start the season, uh, a lot of them with three at the back. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Luton switch to a three-at-the-back system. Um, but even if they do, Craney and Galloway at right and left wing-back just not going to give you the same attacking production, quite honestly. So they're going to have to find a way to create from out wide, higher up the pitch. And McManaman's obviously someone who's come in to, to do that. They're not a team blessed with a lot of wide men at the moment. So it'll be we'll probably have a hint based on the players they sign in the next few weeks as to how they're going to go. But I'd be surprised if they stick with that. Um, we shall see... Uh, you're going to ask the next one I am mate about from, from Forest, Forest Analytics yeah. and um, it follows quite a similar theme to most of the question and <laughs> given his name I think you can probably guess which club he's going to ask about thoughts on Forest Green Forest signings oh. Sammy Amiobi Albert Adoma Yuri Ribeiro Alpha Semedo Thiago Silva and Adajanet Muric um, oh, I'm pretty glad you're answering this one I don't like them 
I any of them. Yeah. I, it's funny talking about signings. It's very rare that you're like, that you would be, not you personally, one would be really negative about signings because generally players are going to come and, you know, in theory, they're going to play football matches for this club and they all have certain qualities. It's not so much that I don't think these guys are, it's not that I think they're all rubbish. I mean, Ribeiro, Semedo, Thiago Silva, not that one. Big summer um, for Thiago Silva. Yeah. Won the Copa America headline Glastonbury and now he's gone to the forest. It's weird. Yeah, big moves, big moves. I, I, I don't know a lot about them. I have checked in with our resident Portuguese football expert, João Pedro Cordeiro, and uh, we will be hearing from him in due course. So we can fill you in a bit more on them. Um, Sammy Amiobi and Albert Doma, uh, obviously we know plenty about have uh, spent their lives really in the EFL and Murich, tall goalkeeper from Man City. Um, I would still have Pantino on probably as the number one, but maybe he is off. The reason I say I don't like it, uh, George, is I can't think of many teams in the EFL, certainly, who operate in a way that is so opposite to how I think a football team should operate, uh, especially in the transfer market. So that's really what I'm getting at here because it doesn't, it, it, it seems like more of the same. You've got two players, Amiobi, late 20s, Adoma, early 30s, brought in on a free, so at least you're not spending uh, a lot of your, well, a lot of transfer money on them in terms of fees. But of course you will be spending uh, half decent wages on them because they are, you know, whether you like it or not, recognisable names at this level. I don't think either of them are going to be game-changing for this team on the pitch, uh, neither a, a patch on Joe Lolly. Um, Matt Cash I would rather have instead of probably both of those, so not that keen on that. Uh, and mostly it's just the, the age thing. We've spoken about it the last few windows for Forrest. When you sack a manager every six months and new guys want to come in and, and demand new players, you end up with this swollen squad, which they have. You end up with an with an ageing squad, which they have. And I just think it's the wrong way of, of going about things. I think it's unlikely that Nottingham Forest will be promoted to the Premier League uh, if they continue uh, on, on in this sort of, in this way, particularly. And I think it's a club that could very, very easily get things right and get promoted out of this division if they were to do that. But at the moment, I don't think they are. Daniel Story tweeted about this the other day. They've got 32 players in the first team squad. I think it's 33 now with Adoma. Um, the turnover, well, between June 2015 and January 2017, Forrest signed 26 players on permanent or temporary deals in 19 months and not one of them is still at the club. So it's an expensive habit, sacking managers and buying players that don't do, well, that just aren't amazing for you, basically. George, what, what are your thoughts on them sacking Martin O'Neill and bringing Lamucci in? I think for Forrest fans, it's good news. Um, <clears throat> the O'Neill... Appointment never made much footballing sense. It never made, um, it never really got us very excited. It looked like an awkward fit as soon as he came in. Um, it's, it's amazing how Forrest seemed to have had this obsession with bringing in um, exotic foreign attacking talent over the last couple of kind of 18 months or so, but always paired it with completely um, with managers who just don't fit that, mm. that profile at all. And, and in Lamucci, I'm not going to pretend to know to be an expert on him at all, but from what we read from, from, from our French. Our French friends, he is someone who does like to play attacking football and good football as well. So um, hopefully, you know, O'Neill and the club can put whatever that was behind them and uh, Lamucci will be a better fit for them. You're bored of talking about managers. So I'm going to ask you about some signings. Bristol City been one of the, one of the busier teams, um, really exciting their fans. Titillating would be the word I imagine you Twice would use. in a podcast. That would be the word you would use. Uh, they've signed Jada Silva and Thomas Callas from Chelsea. Of course, both very successful loanees last season. Quite unusual to uh, to see loanees from a top six Premier League club be signed immediately by the team that, that enjoyed them on loan the season before. So a real statement that from Bristol City, but not just that. Dan Bentley will be fighting for the number one jersey. Sammy Smodic signs from Colchester and, and uh, Tommy Rowe, of course, versatile and experienced good leader comes in from Doncaster Rovers. So I guess the thoughts are, well, the question is, what are your thoughts on the signings? Because a lot of people are getting quite excited. Yeah, it's ambitious. You can definitely say that. I think De Silva and Callas especially, um, to retain players who've been important for you like that. And Callas especially is someone who's been playing top-level championship for a few years now. Um, to get him on a permanent is really impressive. Um, Bentley, 
is a bit of an enigma, I think mm. it's fair to say. Um, I'm not, uh, he has some, seri- some serious shortcomings. Very um, high profile errors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Smodics, I mean, it's, it's an exciting one. It's, it's a kind of signing we're used to seeing Bristol City making and um, plucking some players who've had promising, n- you know, not young, young, but youthful players yeah. um, coming into the prime of their careers who, who've done well lower down the pyramid. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is exciting. I'm a fan of Lee Johnson's as well. And, and I think they are probably. Uh, a striker away still. Um, there's still a lot of pressure on, on Juju to be the man to, to score the goals. And I, I think they need someone in who, who can take that on a bit better. But uh, you've got to think they're going to be there or thereabouts again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to ask me Gab's question then? Yeah, probably better. It's a difficult question. So Gab, the, the yearly Gab, the seasonal Gab, uh, <laughs> is thoughts on the standard of the championship. Do you think the quality will increase further this season i have a bit of an issue to take with the word further here but I'll, I'll leave it to you to answer well i don't know um and and i suppose a lot of this depends on what you think this, the, the quality was like last year i really enjoyed norwich sheffield united leeds i thought these were good teams aside from that uh, flashes of aston villa second half of the season uh, some nice stuff played in patches by various other teams but generally i don't think well I don't think the te- I don't think that the league I don't think the style was always that exciting from a lot of teams. I don't think we had a lot of very good teams and I mean good winning teams. Um but I mean I've still found it entertaining so I'm sure that that will be the same this year. I'm not feeling at this stage that hot on on the championship quality increasing. I must say I I don't know if it's the most exciting pool of managers we've had at this level for a while. Um, um, nothing particularly exciting me in that sense, apart from just a couple of them. But in general, uh, in terms of the standard of play, um, it's very hard to say, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and I think part of the reason why the teams at the top end of the league last season were so good was because I think the general quality of the league was pretty poor. Yeah, and in turn, that's going to mean that you're going to be going to be more dominant. I don't think last season was a better championship than we've seen recently, and I think that they look to me to be more teams. Um, who look like mid-table fodder. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, there's a lot of teams that... There's about 15 teams I have down for bottom half finishes, which is too many. And if you add to that the fact that none of the relegated teams are like particularly well fancied to, to do... Yeah. I mean, Fulham are, are obviously up there, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw, you know, always there are going to be... Whoever's first and second in the league is going to be pretty impressive. And I think Brentford are a team who could do great things. Leeds, again, could be fantastic, but... As a league itself, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, it might be quite even if there's no one that... I mean, there'll be one or two teams, won't there, probably, who will fly towards the top and, and maybe charge away with it. But yeah, God, that was a bit of a negative answer, wasn't it? Let's move on to League One. Can't wait, though. Uh, we didn't get that many uh, questions about League One, but we did get one about Ipswich uh, from ITFC Tactics on Twitter. He says, thoughts on Lambert having nothing to spend on transfer fees. Bearing in mind money coming in for Ellis Harrison, sell-ons for Clark, who's gone to Brighton uh, from Portsmouth, and Mings, of course, big deal to Aston Villa from Bournemouth, and potentially more if Webster and or more get sold. Um, but the quote from Paul Lambert was, we haven't spent no money at all, none. If you spend money, then I can understand people saying you have to be up there and you have to win titles. I get all that. But why do people think we're automatically going to be in the top six? Because we're Ipswich? Thoughts, George? It doesn't fill me with confidence. It's, it's kind of same old, same old, isn't it, for Ipswich? Um, it? Yeah, yeah I, I don't think... I think that the message is, whilst we may now be a big fish in a small pond in League One, that doesn't suddenly give us licence to spend money that we haven't had before. I mean, whether that's um, a lack of investment from the owner into the playing squad or or not reinvesting money from sold players. I mean, this isn't the first time that Ipswich have, have sold players in a summer and not reinvested, so... It sounds to me like Lambert is is, is pretty uh, isn't particularly happy about it, mm. um, and this is maybe a bit of a dig at the ownership. Um, in James Norwood, if the figures being banded around about his salary are correct, then I think him complaining about money is 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 fairly rich, um, no pun intended, because um, that I think he's probably one of the best must be one of the best player, paid players in the league if mm. if, if they're true. Um, but I do think again it, we, we saw it with Sunderland last season as well that this this idea that these clubs who if we're going to be brutally honest were like really bad in the championship just because their big clubs are going to come down and, and turn it around it doesn't work like that and you know I, I think that they're 
going into the season. I mean, they they have quality players. I mean, if you look at their front line of, of Green Edwards and and Norwood and uh, and Judge, you know, these are top quality players at this level. But I, I don't expect them to be able just to to turn up and uh, and turn it on. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. You're going to ask me what Tom wanted to know about. Tom wants to know about Shrewsbury. Ah, yes, well, that's and good. your mate. Um, My mate Ethan Ebanks-Landell, Ebanks-Landell, Aaron the, Pierre, Steve Morrison, Joe Murphy, Daniel Udo, Ryan Giles and Max O'Leary, the last two alonees. Yeah, so uh, I spoke about Ethan, my great friend who I met on a flight back from Los Angeles at the beginning of June. He was very excited to get started with Shrewsbury uh, and I am quite excited for him and his new teammates uh, and for Shrewsbury fans who had a just had a bit of a weird season last season, didn't they? I mean, they were one of the teams considered to be in this uh, crazy League One relegation battle. Uh, they they didn't get as close to actually being relegated as most of the teams did at, at various parts of the season. Uh, data-wise, they were a real head-scratcher. They uh, appeared to, on balance of play, create plenty of chances and, and, and not give too many away, but uh, that didn't really come across in the results. Um I like Sam Ricketts, or rather I like what I've seen from him so far. I like the way that he uh, carries himself as, as, as Shrewsbury manager. He got through a sticky patch, and, and I'm feeling positive about these signings. Certainly at the back, I think if they, I mean, in th- on paper, if they have a, a sort of five at the back or three at the back with wing-back system, then Ebanks Landell, Aaron Pierre, um, and the lad from, uh, who they signed from Manchester United, Roshan Williams, uh, as well as Waterfall, who's... Not the most popular centre-back at the club. Um, I think that's pretty solid, at least on paper. They've got a couple of good goalkeeper options now with Max O'Leary on loan from Bristol City, especially I like a lot. Um, and they've got players like Okunabire, who you just think could have a bit of a breakout year. So I'm quite looking forward to this. Steve Morrison will keep everyone in line. Um, and yeah, I th- I'm feeling fairly hot on Shrewsbury. What about what Jonathan wants to know, George, which is thoughts on which promoted side will do the best next season. Now, mostly we're trying to keep our prediction cards close to our chest, but we've let this one slip through. He's talking about MK Dons or Lincoln or Berry or Tranmere. So I'll make it quick, this one. Um, I think anyone answering Berry needs to have a read up over what's happened over the summer. Let's just hope they get to the beginning of the season. Um, I think Tranmere, um, their task this season is to stay up and it's MK Dons and Lincoln who will have bigger aspirations and it'll be between those two um, I wouldn't want to say yet because I want to see uh, their squads come come opening day but. okay here's a, an addition from me at the Makalele role thoughts George on Lincoln adding two lightweight technical attacking players in George Grant and Jack Payne is this a riposte to anyone who is pigeonholing Danny Cowley as a as a long ball manager. I think he's too bright for that. I don't think he'll care what people say about him. I think he's, we've seen with Bruno Andrade at uh, at Lincoln, who's been so good for them for the last uh, couple of seasons that Cowley is good at working with technical players, even if the football isn't isn't always so pretty. And in Payne and Grant, he's got two guys who are definitely good enough for this level. So horses for courses and interesting to see how they adapt um, the football they play going forward. I wonder which course suits Jack Payne the best. Um, anyway, we're um I'm a little concerned for Lincoln vis-a-vis goal scorers. Uh Akinde didn't actually score very many last season. He did a hell of a job otherwise, but he didn't really score many from open play and uh, unless I've missed it, I don't think they've got that many other striker options. That, that's day. where you think that people I mean Payne scored nine goals last season. Yeah. Uh, George Grant scored double figures in a season. If, if if his plan is to get these guys playing off a big man up front, you don't want him to be a goal scorer. No. You want it, you want the goals to be spread around the team. So very fair. Um, Exeter City. Khaled asked thoughts on Exeter City's recruitment outgoings. There's been a fair few um, brought in, uh, including Atangana, tough tackling midfielder from Cheltenham. Johnny Maxted, who's a goalkeeper that will replace Christy Pym. Of course, they lost Hiram Boteng as well. So they had some key players depart early in the summer, but they've certainly acted on it. Uh, Nikia Jose and Alex Fisher will be a strike partnership that... Uh, we've also been asked about Ryan Bowman. Of course, they signed him in January to replace Jaden Stockley. Still very much there. A couple of more experienced centre-backs in Tom Parks and Gary Warren and a young goalkeeper in, in Lewis Ward. So they've got two goalies to, to compete for Pim's vacant gloves. One each, maybe. But um, certainly up front, Bowman, Fisher, Jose, uh, some quite nice, 
variable options there. Yeah, I mean, we know that Fish listens to the pod, so we'll say how happy we are for him that he's uh, that he's got himself another um, EFL gig after after Yeovil, and fingers crossed we'll be speaking to him a lot this season. Um, it's exciting. I mean, a, a Jose is a player that I've always thought um, could really take uh, take hold in this team uh, yeah. in this league. And for whatever reason, it's never it hasn't really happened for him on a consistent basis. But maybe this will be the time um, under a manager who's who progressed them so well last season. Um, Atanga At- Atangana, sorry, is a very interesting signing as well. A guy who's who's looked decent at this level in the past too. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I think it's exciting. I think they're decent signings. Um, I think they surprised me last season in the way that they went about their business um, and the way that. I was worried for them in terms of finishing lower mid-table. In the end, they're a playoff contenders. So I think they're a club who've, who've ridden the, the difficulty of losing a key manager very, very well. Mm. And and this is the season to kick on. And they've shown some some ambition with the signings they've made, at Jose's particularly. And, uh, and it, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them kick on. Possibly need another creative midfielder, someone to, to feed the bullets to those, those front yeah, three. Yeah, possibly. And Boateng, I'm not saying, was some absolutely... Uh, epic chance creating machine but um just off the top of my head I, i'm i'm not thinking of a lot of players out well behind the front line who who i would consider to be big chance creators so that could be something to keep an eye on um tom asked thoughts on wes who well, i was about to say i was going to do another a, another segue okay go on talking of creative midfielders uh, oh <laughs> nice um tom asked about wes Houlihan and wants to know your thoughts on him being player of the year it's very exciting that wes Houlihan went to cambridge on loan I assume linked to uh, knowing Colin Calderwood in some way, and we did, we did think that one of Calderwood's uh, real sort of positives was going to be his contacts book. Um, there's a lot of young managers in League Two who won't have an extensive contacts book like Mr. Calderwood. Houlihan in on trial. He hasn't signed permanently unless I've missed something major. So it's a little bit tongue in cheek this from Tom, and I'm I'm afraid I'm going to react badly to it because. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see Houlihan sign for Cambridge. And if he does, we'll get very excited about that because he's a lovely player. Um, we did think that uh, Vaughan, who signed for Notts County, the former Forest midfielder, um, really technical, left-footed, quite diminutive midfielder, plays a bit further back than Houlihan, but not a million miles away in terms of quality on the ball, but physical um, deficiencies. We thought he would tear the league up last year and, and obviously Notts County ended up getting relegated and he, he had a pretty tough time. So my concern is more for Cambridge in general and it's that Giovanni Brown has left. Now Brown was their top goal scorer and their top assister last season. They were the league's second lowest goal scorers um, and they've lost their major source of goals, both scoring and assisting. Uh, George Maris, who is a goal threat from midfield, I believe is leaving. I think his contract's up. I'm not 100% sure what's happening there, but I was under the impression that he was certainly moving on. And that's another goal threat that they're losing. So I am concerned about Cambridge, I must say. I think Houlihan would be a good signing, but they've got a lot of work to do. I'm not Player of the year? Where's Houlihan? What I meant to say was, <laughs> will be the player of the year in uh, in League Two, uh, Skybet League Two this season. George Mikey says thoughts on Grimsby. They've sort of done a bit of a bit of uh, Michael Jolly out of nowhere signing uh, Moses Ogbu, the Nigerian attacking player, um, who we don't know a huge amount about, but has really been been plucked from from abroad. Uh, but then also some real recognisable old school EFL strikers in James Hansen and Matt Green. Well, yeah, I mean, I, and after this, I'm going to ask you about James Vaughan and Clayton Donaldson, which is oh, quite yeah. fun. So we talk about four proper EFL stalwarts, great, isn't it? Um, but Grimsby first. I, I don't hate it. Yeah. To be honest, it, it felt like at times last season, Grimsby were, were a real soft touch. Mm. Um, and that will not be the case with those two up top. I know that a lot of people, I mean, James Hansen seems to really divide opinion between fans. Um, some fans have, have absolutely loved him at their club and some have really not seen the point. Um, but for Grimsby, he'll give them a proper focal point up top. Matt Green goes from one club and, and is prolific into the next. He won't score a goal in 30 games. Yeah. He did both of those things at Oxford. But again, he's someone who um, will give them a presence. So I think they're shrewd signings, really. Um, I mean, expectations, again, aren't going to be high. Uh, it looks like there might be a takeover going through at Grimsby as well. So a bit of a transition period. But I, I think there'll be more of a, a threat this coming season with those two in the door. Bradford, of course, after getting relegated last season, have Gary Bowyer in charge, who I know you're a fan of. And um, Vaughan and Donaldson look set to be 
the uh, the veteran front too. Yeah, I am a fan of Gary Bow. Yeah, there's, you know, you have to be clear that it was so bad for Bradford last season that there is a lingering doubt in my mind that you know it, it's not all the bad vibes have just evaporated and everything's fine and then they're they're cracking on with great enthusiasm and great expectation and great belief. Um, I don't know that that's my real doubt. Otherwise, I'm feeling good about it because I do think Bowie is the, the the right man um, for Bradford at this stage, and he has certainly acted in the transfer market. He's got rid of a lot of the players who were so disappointing last season, and he's brought in uh, a fair few. Now, Vaughan and Donaldson are obviously quite eye-catching because, well, I mean, it's only a what was it? Probably 18 months ago that Vaughan was quite highly sought after in the lower end of the Championship. Um, and he made the wrong move. And since then, he's had a couple of loans in League One that haven't really worked out particularly. Um, and Clayton has always been a wonderfully hardworking championship striker who, in a team that isn't Bolton, will score probably nine or ten league goals, um, but contribute in, 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 in various other ways um, outside of goal scoring. But who you know, is advancing in years and uh, I'm not entirely sure what to expect from him at League Two level. Um, if there's a chance of Bradford being a team that creates a lot of shot opportunities, good chances, then, you know, these are players I'd expect to, to take them, especially Vaughan in a good team. So feeling pretty good about that, I guess. Uh, Luke said, George, thoughts on Danny Mayer going to Argyle to join up with Ryan Lowe. Is it as simple as them signing... League Two's best player last season and having one of their best managers, uh, having one of its best managers in charge and therefore they're just going to go straight back up. Is that how it works with Plymouth? Um, it, I think it could be. I mean, yeah. again, it's it's hard because Plymouth have been fairly gutted over the last few weeks in terms of, of play, playing staff. Um, it's easy to get really caught up in Ryan Lowe going there. And we have to remember that Ryan Lowe's only had one full season of... Of, of management as well for Barry, which did see him create this incredibly free-scoring uh, team. But and getting in Mayer um, for me means they have the best player in League Two, at least as far as I'm aware at the moment. Uh, so it's it's easy to get carried away. I'm trying not to get carried away because we have to see how the rest of the team shapes up. Well, um, I mean, if I may, yes. see what you think about this. Barry had a huge advantage on the rest of the league in terms of the strength of their squad basically in all areas of the pitch, but they were also technically clearly a level above basically every other team, uh, maybe aside from Lincoln, who just had some really good players as well. I'm not sure that in its current state, the Plymouth squad matches up in any way to that Berry side. I don't think they've got the... Well, apart from Mayer, with Kerry and Lemires having left, I still think there's, you know, there's a Jay O'Shea, there's a Nicky Adams that needs to be there that I don't think they have at the moment. So... You know they lost Ladapo, of course, up front as well. So they need a they need a Maynard. Um, yeah, I, I've got some. I just don't think it's quite as easy. And I know you don't think that either. I'm not saying you did say that, but there might be people who think, well, Lowe's gone there, Mayo's gone there. It's going to be buried 2.0. Uh, and I, I'm, uh, I need to see a little bit more. Uh, Mansfield, I want to ask you about, and then there's one more after that. Uh, Mansfield have made some interesting signings and some interesting signing. Uh, arrival videos. Don't know if you saw Nicky Maynard arriving in Portugal, being picked up in the Bentley by um, Carolyn Radford and some poor media man who had to film the whole thing. Um, they've also signed Andy Cook, so two centre forwards, experienced centre forwards, offering different things. Dion Donahue signed yesterday. He's a left-sided player coming in from Portsmouth. Um, they haven't lost anything particularly tough, other than of course the loanees. Tyler Walker being the main one. So, any any thoughts on on how Mansfield shape up under Mr. Dempster? Yeah, I think good. I think that Maynard looks like a, a pretty good replacement for for Tyler Walker. Um, you look at the XG stats from last season under Flickcroft, and Mansfield was very very good. So, whilst Maynard isn't someone I think would would do particularly well in a team that struggled to create chances, I think if they're going to continue with that kind of output, he'll get a lot of chances. The same can be said of Cook, who's been prolific in the past as well, albeit not at this level. So. Uh, I think they're good signings. Again, it's an unknown with Dempster, so we have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But but in terms of pure personnel, uh, I think that's um, I think it's decent. So an- another team who, well, a team who had a late run towards flirting mm. with with the playoffs, but never really got there in Stevenage. 
Um, there's been there was some talk of of, of their manager going moving on to Doncaster at one point. It seems yeah. like that's not going to be the case. Um, so, what would you make from Stevenage Central? What are your thoughts on Stevenage's chances this season? Very difficult for me to call at this stage. And to be honest, that sounds like a cop out. I think it's going to be difficult for me to have a very firm. Uh, vision about Stevenage even as they start the campaign and there's a few reasons for that Uh, Dino Mamria with a really impressive first full season in charge as you say they had such an impressive end to the season and it was a tactical switch it was a a little switch in in shape made a massive difference he really hit on something that worked and it felt like they were mid-table pushing towards the playoffs kind of punching above their weight in the first half or even the first three quarters, really, of the season, playing a really um, aggressive style, making it very hard for the opposition, struggling to create chances, though, and um, really sort of turning every game into a bit of a war and generally having the the squad character and makeup to, to win that war, which was fine, but it didn't necessarily lead me to believe that either they would be much of a playoff contender last season or that unless they made some big changes this summer, I would see them competing at the top end of the division this season. Having said that, the last two months or so kind of kind of still fresh in my mind, and I really like what they did there. If they can keep Curtis Guthrie, especially, who scored a lot of goals, they'll need to find some way or someone to, to try and give them that little spark that Ilias Chair gave them on loan from QPR. But I like Mamria. I think that he is a, a very good manager at this level. I think that his style is not always conducive to to being a, you know, the sort of team that will dominate games and 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 clearly be a dominant force in this league. But without a clear grasp of how many good teams there are going to be, I do think they're going to be very competitive, very combative, and I think that they have a chance to have a, a similar season to last season. And who knows, maybe sneak in the playoffs this time, guys. That's it from us. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, pre-season content from Not The Top 20 podcast. We've got lots of plans uh, over the next few weeks, really, as we get towards the season. A few plans unconfirmed because we've still, we're still having lots of, lots of exciting meetings, uh, lots of discussions together. How can we make things better? How can we grow? How can we develop? That's what we want to do. Um, but someone was seemingly quite worried on Twitter yesterday that we were getting too busy with Sky Sports News and that the pod was going to suffer. But that's absolutely not going to be the case. This will still be big and happening very, very regularly. So thank you for joining us. Please tweet us with any thoughts on what we've said and your thoughts on any of the topics. <laughs> <laughs>